0: Our scripture for this Easter Sunday comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter. I invite you to listen for God's word for you. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell the disciples." He had been raised from the dead, and indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a word of prayer? And so, gracious God, we come this Easter Sunday to hear a word from you So silence within us any voice but your own and speak to us as only a living God can. For we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. This year Easter is different. This sanctuary is empty and churches all over the world have empty sanctuaries. Gone are the grand processionals and the trumpets and the timpanies, Gone are the throngs of people packing into worship spaces and sanctuaries. This Easter just feels a little empty. We've all had to cancel our plans and postpone our gatherings due to this pandemic. Empty space. It just might be the place to look for an answer. An empty grave, after all, is what Easter's all about. One of the events that we had scheduled here at San Marino Community Church this year was a trip to Oberammergau, Germany. There were about 40 members and friends of the San Marino Community Church that were registered for this great tour and adventure. In the Bavarian Alps, in a time of another pandemic, the bubonic plague, the legend has it that the town vowed, that they would perform the passion play of the Christ every 10 years if God would spare the town from the plague. Well, since they were spared, they began performing the play, first time in 1634. The man from town apparently uh, came to town after Christmas, after he had traveled and carried the plague back with him and infected the town. The man himself apparently died and others began to get sick. However, when the town decided to take this particular vow, no one else died and those who were sick recovered, according to the legend. So they performed the passion play in years that end with a zero. And since this year is 2020, they were planning for the performance this summer. However, they decided to postpone the performance until 2022 due to this pandemic, COVID-19. The performance involves over 2,000 singers and actors and technicians, all from the town itself. One of the other stops that we had planned for the summer was following our trip to Oberammergau to go to Paris, France, for a quick trip to the Louvre Museum included in that. If you ever had a chance to see the beautiful art at the Louvre, you'll know that the most famous piece of art there is the Mona Lisa, which was painted by Leonardo da Vinci sometime around 1503 to 1506. It is, quote, the best known, the most visited, and the most written about piece of art in the world. It's also the most valuable, apparently it holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the most expensive piece of art, but I gotta tell you, it's very unimpressive in size. The first thing I noticed was really how small it is. But what strikes me is that great art has little to do with the size of the canvas it's painted on. It has everything to do with the skill of the artist. We're all painting our lives on smaller canvases during these days. We're all creating life-sized art, interacting with those closest to us, painting our own portraits with reduced schedules, more limited movements and strokes. But it doesn't mean that our lives are any less artistic in color or form or content We simply need to reframe our understanding. We may be working on smaller canvases, but we can still make a remarkable piece of art out of our lives. Just remember, Jesus never strayed more than 30 miles from his home, but he reframed everything. Dr. John Marburger began a speech on the occasion of the 40th anniversary of Stanford's Linear Accelerator Center, with the words from T.S. Eliot. Dr. Marburger was the science advisor to the President of the United States and Director of the Office of Science and Technology Policy. Quoting from the closing lines of T.S. Eliot's poem, The Four Quartets, he said, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Through the unknown remembered gate, through the last of earth left to discover, is that which was the beginning. End quote. You know, landing back home during this crisis through our safer at home order has for some of us been an experience of arriving where we started and knowing the place for the first time. Dr. Marburger recounts his first hearing of those words on an earlier occasion on the East Coast. He said, quote, The idea that somehow the end of the great reductionist adventure of modern world would be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time seemed to capture a vision of the future course of fundamental science, end quote. Standing before the linear accelerator years later, Dr. Mark Berger described, quote, the capacity of our technology is lagging behind the phenomenon we need to study, end quote. We certainly know that's true when it comes to medicine these days and our ability to stop this virus. He went on to say, We know from galactic motions that there's more matter in the universe than we can see, and it seems likely that none of the stable objects in the current particular inventory of the standard model can account for it. Then he exclaimed, Whoever would have guessed 40 years ago that understanding the vacuum, basically empty space, in our frozen epoch of cosmic evolution would be the most challenging problem in physics today, end quote. Now look, I'm way out of my depth in talking about the convergence of particle physics and astronomy, but the same kind of curiosity with mysteries beyond our reach and recognition of our own limitations, the limitations of our technologies and our understandings and explanations... The vacuum, basically empty space, sounds to me quite like the mystery of looking into the emptiness of a grave and the challenge of trying to explain resurrection. Here's a 21st century scientist, Dr. Marburger, who claims there is more matter in the universe than we can see. It sounds to me a little bit like a theologian I hear the ancient voice of scripture, which says, we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary. What cannot be seen is eternal. Empty space. Unlocking the mysteries of both science and religion, apparently. And it has everything to do with empty space. Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. He is risen. All our discovery and experience of faith, all our attempts at living faithfully and plumbing the depths of the Christian life, the thought, all of that begins in an empty tomb on Easter morning. We shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. That's Easter. Easter. The power of new life unleashed by Almighty God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is still setting right what has gone wrong in our lives and in our world. So let's look again at the empty grave this morning. This account of the resurrection is breathless in its pace. Suddenly there was an earthquake. The guards shook and became like dead men while the angel says to the woman, Come and see the place where he lay, the empty tomb. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. I don't know about you, but if that were me, I wouldn't have to be told twice. If I were in a graveyard at dawn, right after an earthquake left a couple of dead people there and someone looking like lightning said to me, go quickly, I would have been out of there so fast they would have accused me of performance enhancing drugs. The language used here to describe what happened is anything but natural. There's no way to describe the resurrection in naturalistic terms. Resurrection isn't about the circle of life. It's not about trying a little harder or personal attempts to live longer by taking better care of ourselves. Death is natural, not resurrection. God miraculously intervenes to change the natural course of things. Christ is risen, and the whole world begins to come to life. The first people attracted to Jesus were not people of ideas. They weren't intellectuals. They weren't even particularly educated. They were people of action, however. They fished. They climbed trees. They fed 5,000 people. They tore open roofs. They ran to tell others what they had experienced. These are people of action. They didn't believe in reincarnation. They didn't even believe in the idea of an immortal soul. That was a Greek idea. They didn't have in their head some idea of immortality and then think up the resurrection. They experienced the resurrection. And then they tried to find words to describe what was so indescribably joyous that it surpassed their vocabulary and their ability to use language at all. And ever since then, in every language, that description seems to pale compared to the reality. Whether we're convinced of the resurrection or not, it's clear they were convinced of it. They didn't get Jesus back only. God gave them new life. Resurrected life, empowered life, hope-filled and joyous life. You know, some see only hopeless end to life. But those who believe see an endless hope. You never know when you're going to discover the truth about life. We're not supposed to really find life in a cemetery where you go and expect death. The great thing about the good news of Easter is that it's for everyone. Every woman, every man, every child, every grandparent, everyone. Jeremy Forrester was born with a twisted body and a slow mind and chronic terminal illness. He wasn't expected to live into adulthood But his parents wanted to mainstream Jeremy, and so they enrolled him in St. Teresa's Elementary School. At the age of 12, he was sadly still in the second grade. His teacher, Doris Miller, was often frustrated with him. Jeremy wasn't able to understand the lessons, and therefore he was easily distracted, and he became a distraction for the other students in the class. So one day, Miss Miller, called his parents and asked for a consultation. Jeremy really belongs in special education, she said. It isn't fair for him and it isn't fair for the younger children in the class. He's five years older than they are. Mr. Forrester responded, there's no school like that nearby. We know he likes it here. It'd be terrible for him if he was to be taken out of school. So Doris Miller considered the difficult circumstances and she asked God to give her some patience and dedicated herself again to teaching, including Jeremy. Spring came and the children were all excited about Easter. Doris Miller told them the story of Jesus and then she emphasized the idea that new life springs forth. So she gave each child in the class a large plastic egg now she said i want you to take this home tonight and bring it back tomorrow with something inside that shows new life the children all said yes miss miller that is all except jeremy miss miller decided to phone his parents later that night to explain the project to them but the demands of the day and the activities just got away from her and she forgot to call The next day, 19 children came to class and placed their eggs in the basket on Miss Miller's desk. And when it came time to open them, she began with the first egg, which contained a little flower. A flower! Now that's certainly a sign of new life, Miss Miller said. And one little girl in the front row waved her arms and said, that one's mine. The second egg contained a plastic butterfly, which looked very real. We all know that a caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly. Yes, that's a sign of new life, too. And little Danny smiled proudly. I brought that one, he said. Then Miss Miller opened a third egg, and the egg was empty. Surely it was Jeremy's, she thought, who didn't understand the instructions because she forgot to call. And not wanting to embarrass him and feeling a little embarrassed herself, she quietly set the egg aside and reached for another. But suddenly Jeremy spoke up and he said, Miss Miller, aren't you going to talk about my egg? But Jeremy, your egg is empty, she said. And he looked at her and he said softly, Yes, but Jesus' tomb was empty too. And for just a moment, time stopped and Finally, when she could speak again, Miss Miller asked him, do you know why the tomb was empty? And Jeremy exclaimed, yeah, Jesus was killed and put in there. Then God raised him up. About three months later after that, Jeremy died. Those who attended the service that day were surprised to see 18 eggs on top of his casket, all of them empty. You see, Christ is risen, and the whole world comes to life. Come and see the place where he lay, said the angel. Look for yourself into the empty tomb. Look into the emptiness of your own life. Do you still feel the pain of your loss? Perhaps someone you loved whose absence leaves you empty. Are you tired of meaningless work? Are you afraid you'll never find fulfillment in your life? Are you lonely and still hoping for some loving relationship? Or maybe you're retired and you wonder if you'll ever be free from financial insecurity and anxiety What have you buried of yourself? Maybe that's the place you'll find the resurrected Christ. Maybe it's time to visit the very place where you've entombed yourself. You know, there are many people who might consider the extension of life, the life they're living now, to be no great news at all. The infinite continuation of life, living purposeless, insignificant, struggling, limited, estranged, envying, thankless lives, where's the joy in that? Hearing the news that we get to continue like this forever, would that be good news? A resurrection that only extends our lives but doesn't change them might feel more like a life sentence than it does a reason for celebration. An empty tomb becomes the setting for God's faithfulness and transformation of the world. You can bury the truth, but it won't stay there. And it turns out God meets us right at the place where we have given up all hope. But because he lives, we too shall live. We look into the darkness and the emptiness of the grave this morning and we see reflected our own crushing needs and our necessity for a Savior. And Easter is about the new life that's found in Jesus Christ. I can't explain it, but when I look at the cross of our Lord and I remember the joy that first Easter and the discovery that even death itself could not hold him, and when I open my heart and I bow my head and I, I know that something's been done for us that only Jesus could do. Reaching for metaphors or figures of speech to explain the far reaches of the universe, I'm completely at a loss. But I know the account has been settled. I know the veil has been torn that separates us from God. I know the prisoner's door has swung wide open. There is something about that lonely, darkened tomb which delivers us all. We shall cease from all exploration and the end of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. That is Easter. Christ is risen. Thanks be to God. Amen.